Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 227. I didn't have a plan. I didn't know if it was even going to work. I didn't know my audience. I didn't even know what I was going to offer to people. Attention, gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and as always, I'm so glad to have you here with me today. Before we get into the show, I have a question for you. How'd your day go yesterday? Maybe a crazy question, I know, and yes, you heard me right. If you were to rate yesterday, how much did you get done? How far did you advance toward your goal? Or maybe in your mind you're saying, what goal? Many of you have told me you aren't sure whether what you're doing is the right thing for your business. You're confused that you may be focusing on the wrong things and wasting time and money. And you compare yourself to others and feel like you're just not keeping up. Sound familiar? Maybe you find that you're busy all day long, but when you finish up, you haven't accomplished much of anything at all. I've been there too, until I started working with what I now call the power of purpose. I made a free video for you that explains how to boost your productivity and get results using the power of your purpose. Isn't it time to make all the effort that you put into your business and your life do for you what you've intended? Now, full disclosure, this video does lead into showing you my brand new Inspired Daily Planner. But listen, you don't need the Inspired Planner to get all the advantages out of the power of purpose that I show you in this video. So if you're interested in discovering a new way to work through your days so your time is intentional and your results are real, I encourage you to go over and watch this video. And you can find it at giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash planner. That's giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash planner. I never take it lightly that you take time out of your day to listen to the show. And I always think about that when booking guests or drawing out information during our talks, because I want to make sure that there's learning and inspiration for you in exchange for the time that you're spending here with me. Today, I have a mix of both learning and inspiration, because my guest shares her intense story of survival, and then we get into some serious business talk. Let's dive right in. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Rajade Richmond of Search for Her Existence. When women are finally ready to put on their big girl panties and protect their business assets, there is only one woman in the world that they can call, and her name is Rejade Richmond. An acclaimed business and legal strategist, Rejade is empowering women to embrace their true power bossness, turning their businesses into empires. By taking the complexity out of the legal side of business, her clients soon realize that the epic ideas and extraordinary skills in their heads and hands today will be worth millions in their bank accounts tomorrow. 
from rock-solid business structures to impenetrable contracts, she shows them how to get legit, legal, and profitable. Rujade, welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Me too. This is one of those topics that I know a lot of us don't like to chat about, but I really <laughs> think that our conversation is going to be inspiring and, you know, share some things that a lot of people aren't thinking about in relation to their business. But before we dive into that, I have a tradition here on the show, and that is to have you share with us who you are in a little bit of a different way, and that is through describing a motivational candle. So if you were to create your own candle that really speaks you, what color would it be and what would be a quote or some type of saying on that candle? That is such a good question. I'm always thinking about what motivates me, what lights me up. So my color would have to be orange. And I choose orange because orange symbolizes fire and it's my favorite color anyway. (laughs) And then the quote will be, and this is my personal quote, will be the fire in my eyes will ignite the world. And the reason why I would put that on a candle is because everything I do is motivated by something. Like there's some driving force behind it. And I don't think I will be where I am today if I didn't have that fire in me. There you go. The passion. And I like what you're saying. There's intention behind all your actions is what I'm hearing you say. Correct. Got it. And that makes a lot of sense. Now, I've gotten to know a little bit of your story. And I was we were talking in the pre-chat a little bit that I think everything that you bring, there's such power behind your story because you are not going to be knocked down. That's for sure. I don't even know you that well, but I already know that that's true just by your story. Life is funny. You have this dream, right, that is supposed to look one way, but then something happens and everything gets detoured. And I was just always, I am and still am, the type of person that I'm not going to let the curveballs deter me for what I really want to do in life. Share with us a little bit about how you've gotten to where you are today. It was not an easy road. Entrepreneurship for me was never an option. I always had this dream of being this hot shot attorney. And when I got sick with my daughter, everything changed where I had no choice but to start a business. And it was definitely something very hard because I'm a type A personality. So I need structure. I need a list. And when you're an entrepreneur, it's kind of like up and down, up and down. You don't know about your money or anything like that. So the journey has actually really just been motivated because we had to live. And then when my health started failing, I know we'll probably talk about that a little later. But when my health started failing, I really realized that I had to make something happen. But you did have that high power. I mean, you were on the ladder going up. So you had experienced that first. Why don't you start and share with us the story so we can all ground everybody in what was going on? Yeah, absolutely. So I was a celebrity attorney here in the Detroit metro area. I was working with a lot of great celebrities such as the late Aretha Franklin. I assisted with Rosa Parks being on the U.S. postal stamp. I got to work with Malcolm X's heirs and Alice Haley's heirs. So I did a lot of great things, but I actually was not going up the ladder. All those things sounds wonderful and great, but I was stagnant. I was already at the height of my career. There was nowhere else for me to go. Okay, so stop. Let me ask you a question there, because that doesn't make sense. Like all those people, that sounds like such great causes, obviously. Were you stagnant because there was nowhere else to go from there or you'd reached the peak of what that could be for you? Yeah, so it was really the peak at the law firm. 
really the peak of it was nowhere, literally, literally nowhere else to go. That was it. When you are an attorney and you are at the top of the firm and everything, there was nowhere else for me to go unless I wanted to be a partner or something like that. And that wasn't my goal. My goal was to work with people, helping them protect their business assets. So again, there was nowhere else for me to go. There was no increase in my salary year after year after year. I was literally, I came in pretty much at the top from law school. Okay, so then you were unfulfilled. Even with all of that and that client list that you just rattled off, which sounds to a lot of us as outsiders as you made it. There's the financial aspect, of course, but then you've got to be fulfilled with what your mission is and what you want to be doing with your life. And it sounds like that, apart from the finances, so I understand what you said, that financially you couldn't rise any further, but it's also that inside part. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so then what happened? I got sick with my daughter. Me and my husband, we found out we were pregnant. And to back up a little bit, I have lupus. And so we always knew that if we wanted to have children, we would have to plan for it to prevent any complications with my health and the baby's health. Well, we weren't trying to have children. I was on birth control, but unfortunately, we ended up pregnant and my lupus started to flare really bad. And my daughter started to get sick. She wasn't getting enough nutrients while she was inside of me. So what we ended up doing, I had to be hospitalized. So the day we found out the gender they wouldn't let me leave the doctor's office. I had to literally be admitted into the hospital because my lupus was flaring really bad and my blood pressure was so high. They said they were afraid I was going to have a heart attack. I want to say it was like 220 over like 180 and the normal is like 120 over 80. Oh my gosh. Yes. And the crazy thing about all of this, they're telling me like the doctors are spazzing out, but I feel fine. I'm like, I feel fine. Like, I feel fine. Nothing was bothering me. I didn't even feel like I was having a lupus flare. Everything felt normal to me, except that now I know the gender of my child. <laughs> so I'm um, hospitalized, and they tell me, they're like, Rajade, this is like a really life and death type of situation. So really, the doctors wanted me to have a DNC procedure. And what that is, really simply, is just having an abortion. Because they were so afraid that they were going to lose me, but because I felt fine and I believe in God and I'm like well I feel fine so I'm like where do I'm like so what's the next procedure to get this baby delivered and also it's important to note at this time the day I found out my gender I was only 23 weeks pregnant so I'm not even really halfway through the pregnancy by then right so it's not a viable pregnancy yet Mm -hmm. yep absolutely so in order to make it viable we had to wait two more weeks and get her at least to one pound. They won't deliver by C-section if the child is not at least one pound. It's considered an abortion if they're not at least one pound. So I said, I'll wait in the hospital. So they pumped me with a whole bunch of fluids, medications and everything. And about a week and a half later, my daughter was born at 24 weeks and three days. She was one pound, three ounces. Born at 24 weeks and three days. (laughs) Please, I know you all are probably wondering how she's doing. She's here today. She's five years old. And she's almost bigger than me now. (laughs) Oh, that gives me goosebumps. I'm so happy to hear. And thank you for sharing without me having to ask. (laughs) But that's a wonderful story. But then how was your health then? 
Yep. So shortly after, of course, they monitored me after the C-section. But one thing that started to happen is that I started to swell really bad all over in my face, my hands, my ankles, my legs. It was to the point where I couldn't walk. I couldn't use the bathroom by myself. It was just really bad. They were saying that this is common when you have a C-section. And they thought the C-section possibly flared up my lupus because this was such a traumatic experience for my body. Mm -hmm. And so they were kind of just trying to wait it out, get everything calm. So they let me go home. During this time, my daughter was in the NICU. So they let me go home. But I started to get really worse. And then I had this terrible cough. And this was in the around the winter time too here in Michigan. So he was like, You probably should just go into the ER or urgent care to get something for that cough. So when the baby comes home, you're not passing anything around and we want to make sure you don't have the flu. Well, and go to urgent care and they let me know, well, Miss Richmond, you have ammonia and by the way, your kidneys are failing. <gasps> We have to admit you into the hospital and you have to start emergency dialysis because the amount of potassium in your body and toxins in your body right now can kill you. Meanwhile, you have a baby that is super tiny, right? Mm -hmm. What was your mental state at that point? I mean, you had to be all over the board. It was very tough. I think, yeah, it was just very tough. Like, I went through the phase of anger, mad at God, depressed. I went through all the nine. I think even at one point, I think I suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder. Just with my daughter being told that she has cerebral palsy and she may not have a good quality of life. Just from all those different emotions to my health, not knowing if I'm even going to be here to see her, it was very frustrating, for sure. Oh my gosh, an understatement. So how did you manage through what happened next? So one of the things, my daughter was in the NICU almost seven months. So during the seven months period is when I started dabbling into, well not dabbling, I decided to start my business full time. And there was some other things going on at the law firm that I was at that were suspect and integrity issues. And that was one of the reasons why I was feeling that pull of not being fulfilled as well, because there were things going on that was not in alignment with my character. Mm -hmm. And so that was another issue. So I, I always had a thought of starting entrepreneurship, but never had the intention of starting it full time. But when I got sick in the hospital, what ended up happening is that firm let me go because in Michigan, we are at will employees. And so I was let go despite that I was in the hospital and I had a medical reason. They didn't care. They moved on to the next person who can do my job, which is understandable. So during that time, we needed money. At the time, I was the breadwinner in my family. And so we needed money. We had medical bills rolling in. Also, my employer at the time was paying my medical bills. But when I was let go, we didn't have any medical bills. So here I am with a half a million dollar bill for my daughter, who's in the NICU. Then not to mention my medical bills. And then when we tried to like get government assistance, we couldn't because they were basing it on my income previously. And of course, I was well over the mark just to at least get medical. That's all we wanted to make sure that my daughter had medical and I had medical. And so when we were turned away for all these different things, me and my husband made hard decisions such as letting like credit cards go so we can pay these medical bills. We both did bankruptcy. We moved in with my mother-in-law just to cut expenses and things like that. So we let a lot of things go on our credit just to survive. And in that interim of things, I 
built was building this business. I'm like, okay, my daughter's in the NICU. I need to see if this is going to work because this is it's either do or die time, right? And so while I was sick and couldn't walk or anything like that, I'm in a bed with swollen ankles, swollen hands on my laptop working trying to build this business and so that's what happened it wasn't a choice it was kind of by force to jump into entrepreneurship I didn't have a plan I didn't know if it was even going to work I didn't know my audience I didn't even know what I was going to offer to people oh well I want to get into that but I just want to just make a statement right here because I think a lot of our listeners are probably just speechless your story is one of survival you had to do what you had to do But you didn't just say, oh, poor me. It sounds like you took as much control as you possibly could. Now, I'm sure you had your days, right? Yes. No one can go through that without their days. But the strength and the courage and just the fact that you were just going to approach this head on and figure it out is so commendable. So I want to say that to you on behalf of all our listeners, because they can't tell you that right now. So I'm saying it from everybody else. Thank you. So I would also, the thought comes to me as you're telling the story is I'm thinking that you having something else to focus your mind on, you had your computer, luckily there were people taking care of you, right? So you weren't having to cook and all do all of that. I'm sure you would have preferred it the other way. But this diversion in terms of your mind of trying to figure out and build a business might have been helpful because it took your mind off all these other things. I can agree to that. Absolutely. I think it kept me busy. It kept me in the mindset of productivity, like I was still moving forward, no matter what my circumstance was. So I can definitely agree. I think if I just didn't do anything, and I just sat at home with my feet up watching TV, watching the soaps, I think I definitely would be depressed more than what I was then. Right. Okay. But I think just feeding my mind, listening to personal development and things like that. Because I also, entrepreneurship forces you to change your mindset too. We're so conditioned to the nine to five, buy this house, get the dog, get married, have the baby. But when life is not as wrapped pretty like that, it becomes overwhelming. So I had to change my mindset as well. Right. I'm sure. And I can tell you that some of our listeners are probably not as dire as your situation, but are encountering those types of things too right now. What would you say to them about adjusting your mindset? Or what would you suggest that they do? Like, what were you listening to podcasts then? Were you reading as well as all the research that you were doing? Yeah, I was reading. I'm a reader. I like the old traditional, the smell of a book, the feel of a book, write notes in the book. I'm a book girl. So I think the first book I read, it was two books that's coming to mind. The one is The Magic of Thinking Big. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the second one was Crush It by Gary Vaynerchuk, the first one. I love Gary V for everything. Yeah, Crush Mm -hmm. It's great. Yeah, and The Magic of Thinking Big. I know both these books. They're great. Okay, you guys, I'm going to connect these in the show notes in case you haven't seen these before or you're not going to remember them after we continue talking. So check the show notes for links to these two books for sure. Let's continue just a bit longer talking about your story and how you built your business. And then I want to tap into your expertise and some guidance and thoughts that you have for our audience. Okay? Okay, sounds good. Okay, so you're thinking you're going to start your business. And I get that it's a way different business than a lot of our listeners, because a lot of us are makers of some sort, and yours was more intellectual property and services that you'd provide your clients. But what steps did you take? And how did you start to build your business? And two part question, where did you see that then it was going to work? Okay, 
I guess I need to backtrack just a little bit. So when I initially started this business, it's always been Search for Her Existence. So that's always been the name. But when I first started it, I was so done with law. So the initial statement behind the business wasn't even focused on intellectual property. It was more so woman empowerment and leading women. Because I felt like when I was at the law firm, being the only African-American woman and woman in general at the law firm, there was no mentorship, no guidance, especially in the corporate space. And so I saw that that was a common theme amongst my colleagues was there was lacking leadership development and mentorship for us women who are high performers Mm -hmm. in the corporate workspace. When was that year wise? How far back? My daughter is, so that's 2014. 2014. Okay. So not long ago at all, really. No, but as I was, because entrepreneurship is all about failing and trying and seeing what works. And so I thought when I started this leadership development company that that was going to fill me up and motivate me. And part of it did. So one of the things that I did learn from that first phase of the business was that I enjoyed helping women. It, <laughs> it just lit a fire in me. It was a, my happy space. I wake up. I didn't care who called me at 2, 3 a.m. It just gave me so much fulfillment and purpose just to help another woman get by and help them get to their next step in their journey as far as their goals. And so that was really exciting for me. And so I had turned a portion of that search for her existence into a nonprofit called Leadership for Women. I have since sold it because my focus has switched from women empowerment to more so helping women protect the business. Now, how we get to intellectual property today in 2019 is that a lot of women, they knew who I was based on my previous work. They knew I worked with celebrities. They knew who I was and what I did. And they were like, well, I'm starting this business. I need help with this. I would get so many questions on social media and my Facebook DMs. I was like, okay, this is what I need to focus on because these are the questions that I'm getting. No one is asking me about how to empower another woman. No one is asking me how to lead another woman. These women are asking me, how do I trademark? How do I copyright? Is this contract good enough? Is this business idea viable? How do I make it profitable? So those were the common questions I got. And so I had to go back to the drawing board and completely restructure my business. And that happened in about 2016 when I restructured everything. Well, kudos to you for recognizing that that was a need because you could have kept pushing what you initially thought Mm -hmm. was what you wanted to do, right? Mm -hmm. Super smart with that. Okay, and so let's fast track it and just talk about where you are today and then get into some of your knowledge and recommendations and thoughts because I do have a bunch of questions for you. (laughs) Okay, not a problem. So today, my focus is still women entrepreneurs. Those women still lights me up, you all. And so what I do is I work on business and legal strategy to help entrepreneurs protect their assets through business formation, trademarks, copyrights, and or events protection, which is licensing and franchising when you want to get more profitable with your business after you have protected it properly. Got it. Do you work with people all remotely or do you do like face-to-face classes or how is it all set up that way? Yes. So I work with people all over the world. So I'm not limited to just the U.S. I do do international work as well. And currently we are an online digital boutique. We are getting into this year, actually, because a lot of people want that face-to-face interaction. And so what we're going to be doing is having private weekends and masterminds for those who want that one-on-one assistance with their legal and getting their legal and business taken care of in a weekend. Getting 
their whole business, like a brand new business coming in and getting it just all figured out in one weekend? Well, you don't have to be a brand new business. We typically work with entrepreneurs who've already been in business at least two years because then we have the basic groundwork and then we go in and review what you have currently done and what's missing and fill in the gaps. Now, we do work with startups as well, but primarily it's women entrepreneurs who've been in business for a couple of years because we do have a target audience that typically they make generally about $50,000 a year. Okay, perfect, perfect. And honestly, I know this isn't the right way to do it, but reality is that most people will start their business without having all the legal protection in place. Correct. And I don't know that I, I can't say that I endorse it, but I understand it because you want to see if your concept's working first before you go too far and spend too much money. Absolutely. And especially our group, the audience we have here, because they have a lot of costs associated. Since it's not a service, it's a product, there's all of the elements and the ingredients that go into making their product and all the things that other startup businesses have too. So I get it. So if you're listening and you don't have anything legal in place, now's the time to perk up your ears, but it's okay, we get it. (laughs) We get that that's where you started. In just a second, we're gonna dive into Rajade's legal expertise, but first, a quick word from our sponsor. This podcast is made possible thanks to the support of the Ribbon Print Company. Create custom ribbons right in your store or craft studio in seconds. Visit theribbonprintcompany.com for more information. I do have one quick startup question for you, Rajade, and that is if someone is just thinking about this is that product validation time, okay? So they make, I'm going to stick with candles because it's my favorite thing. I bet you couldn't guess from that first question, but they're really still testing the market. So they're going maybe to a craft show to see if their product will sell or a church bazaar, how they'll have those in the basement, especially around the holidays and such. What types of legal structure do they need to have when they're thinking about the business, not really doing it yet, kind of dabbling? They're jumping over the fence, but they're really not yet. What do they need at that point? Yep, that's a great question. It's twofold, especially when it's a products-based business, because you don't want to have this amazing idea and then you're sharing it and someone's like, oh, this is great. And they go do what you're doing, but maybe on a mass production level. So it becomes very tricky. One of the things I tell my clients when they're testing out an idea from a legal perspective, even from a business strategy perspective, is that you can create a small focus group because Right now, you want to see if what you have is working. And a quick way to do that is you can create your own private group, like on Facebook, or you can use a separate platform. And you can have it like a beta group to test it out to see if this is something that works. Now, after you beta it, that's when I think you really should introduce it to the public and to sell and go to trade shows and vendor opportunities. I think that's a great way to do to test your idea, to keep costs down and from a legal perspective to be mindful of who you're sharing your idea with. Okay, so in my corporate world, I did a ton of focus groups. I conducted focus groups, I watched from behind the mirrors and submitted questions in on behalf of my clients, all that kind of thing. And I've also done focus groups, like you know how they hire out and pay you to give your opinions for things. 
Yes. And I forget if we had to sign something, but I'm pretty sure we did. Like the idea is like you can't share some of the new concepts that might be coming out, that kind of thing. Yes. Do you suggest that? Let's pretend, because I also, this is one way that I suggest for everybody to be testing a product is through Facebook groups. Mm -hmm. You know how in Facebook groups now you can ask the questions? Yes. Could you put a linked non-disclosure that they have to agree to, to come into the group, like say, you've read and accept this agreement, because you're not signing if you're going into a Facebook group. Would that suffice? Yeah. And also, you can link it to a contract platform where they can be added before the administrator will add them to the group. They have to have their contract on file. So you can use programs like DocuSign, Mm-hmm. Adobe Echo Sign or Hello Sign, they give you so many free a month. And I think monthly the fee is like $10, $15. Really inexpensive, but that's what I do for my personal Facebook group. And I always encourage other people who have Facebook groups that when they're giving content or sharing ideas and concepts, you definitely want something like that. Because, like you said, when you add someone to a Facebook group, there's no disclosure, there's none of this. It doesn't say anything in here is protected. And it's not enough just to put in like the description that we're going to operate on the honor code. You need something more heavily that's going to, that the person agrees that they're binding themselves to the terms. Okay. So, how unique does your product need to be to go? through this process. For example, let's say we have someone who pours and makes handmade soaps. Mm-hmm. Okay, There are lots of people across the country who make handmade soaps. And I talk with people about, well, how do you make yourself different? How do you separate yourself, etc. But that aside, you can't really protect the fact that you make handmade soaps. But you can be testing the sizes, the image, the flavors, the scent, like all those different things for your unique market. In that type of a situation, do you also need a non-disclosure? Okay, so I'm going to back up because you said a couple things that were red flags. So the idea is not to protect the industry of handmade soaps. The idea is to protect your specific idea. There may be something unique about what you're doing. Is it organic? Is it vegan? Is it special colors? Do you put something inside of the soap? The goal is to protect your specific idea intervention, not the concept. So like for me, I couldn't protect the idea of me doing legal intellectual property, but I can protect my courses. I can protect the books that come along with what I do. And so the idea is to protect the things that you do that generates income for your business. So it's not about you being the business being unique. It's not about being creative or anything. The idea is to protect what you created, protect your blood, sweat and tears, because this is your moneymaker or you intend for it to be your moneymaker. So when someone comes in, you want a non-disclosure agreement, regardless if the idea is unique or something new. Okay, so tell me if I'm following along with this properly. So let's stay with the soaps. But this particular person has a soap that has, this is going to be kind of crazy, but it's the only thing I can think of. Let's say lemon peel or lime peel or something with coconut infused in the soap. And then they have also branded it with some type of a stamp on the top, right? So it's a whole different design look that is specific to them. Is that what you mean? It doesn't even have to have all those additional features. It could just be a bar of soap. The fact that the person created it is their product, so they would want to protect it. So it doesn't have to be unique or something 
I guess the point I'm trying to make is that and make the distinction so the audience understands is that something does not have to be unique in order for you to protect it. It can just be a simple bar of soap. It could just be shea butter soap. It could just be coconut soap. It could be grass soap. It doesn't have to be unique. It doesn't have to have a stamp on it. It doesn't have to have something in it. The point is that if it's your creation, your product, you want to protect that idea. And it goes along with the name of the company, the name of the soap as well. All those things is important. And is that part of then the protection? Because someone else might also make soaps. Yes. So where would somebody be contradicting the non-disclosure if they also make soap? It depends on how your non-disclosure agreement is written. So the whole purpose of a non-disclosure agreement is confidentiality. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's what a non-disclosure agreement Mm -hmm. is. That's all it is, is a confidentiality agreement. And it's when the person who, let's say the soap maker, invites you into the group. Before you can be admitted into the group, you are agreeing to the terms that you're not going to copy this person's idea. You're not going to use their strategies. You're not going to compete with them and try to steal their members from the group. Now, say if there's another soap maker in the group, they can be in the group, but they can't take the soap maker's ideas and add them as their own and implement those strategies unless they get written consent from the person. Okay, I'm 100% with you now because I was starting to go over into the trademarking and like copywriting type thing. But what you're talking about when you're doing a focus group, as we were talking about, you're saying if there's conversations there, questions come up, responses are given that lead to a direction of a strategy that that business will take, another soap maker who happens to be part of that focus group cannot then go and use that information for their own product. Correct. Without written consent. Correct. Yep. Okay. I'm good. Okay. Now I'm with you. (laughs) I was starting to confuse the whole legal part there. So thank you for that clarification. So now let's get to somebody who has done some product validation. They're feeling good. They're starting to see some traction with sales, but they haven't really and again, this happens, we know it's reality, although they probably shouldn't do it this way. But now they're thinking, okay, I need to legalize the company. I know what my name is going to be of the business. And now I really want to get started. I want to start building this into something bigger. Where do they go? Where do they start from here? Well, if they haven't set up the business structure, and what I mean by that is the formation, like LLC, a corporation, or a nonprofit, they need to go ahead and do that. Because what happens is when you're operating a business and you're not under a business structure, if say something goes on, say someone uses your, let's use a lotion company this time, you create lotions and you're selling it online, such as Shopify, and someone buys it and they have a really bad allergic reaction, you can personally be sued because you don't have a business structure protecting you. So what that means is that any assets you may have in your bank account, your car, your houses, if you are a community property state, this can impact your significant other. So they can put liens on your property in your bank accounts until the judgment is fulfilled based on whatever damages you potentially call from the product you created. So that's why it's so important to really have at least this part, whether you know if your business is going to work or not, viable or not, at least have this part handled prior to it still because this gives you some type of protection in terms of if something goes wrong with the business, especially if you're a products-based business. It gives you protection. 
Right. Okay. And it could be something as easy as someone gets a paper cut when they're opening up the packaging of your product. Absolutely. So you might think your product is so super safe, but things can happen, unfortunately. And it's also unfortunate, but your customer could come back to you with that. So definitely that. So let's talk about business structure and protection. And I think you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think if you're a sole proprietor, which I know is like the very basic level of a business structure, you're still exposed for all those things you just talked about. There's four main business structures. So I'm not sure if we have enough time to go through all of them to give them complete clarity. But let's just summarize what they are. Okay. Like, here's the first one. This is basically what it is. Second one, basically, because we have okay. talked about this on the show before. But let's just, for people who are just listening, this is one of their first shows that they've listened to. So let's just, obviously, there's more to it. But if you can just go through some of the basic of each of one. Sure. So okay. sole proprietorship is not a business structure. It's basically a business designation to tell people that you are an individual doing business. You have no protection. You're not under structure. So what that means is that any income you receive for your business, you're responsible for the taxes. If something happens and someone uses your product and they are injured, you are responsible for the liability. And so that's why sole proprietorship is not considered as a business structure because it's not, it's just you are letting the state, whatever state you're in, because you have to have permission to do business in whatever state or country you're in. And so that's why they have that sole proprietor designation because you're letting the government know, hey, I want to do business here, but I'm not quite ready to be under a umbrella of a company. And so when it's like that, you are considered an individual doing business. And for all intents and purposes, you're liable for any taxes and liability that arises from you doing business. Okay. And you do have to register for the state with that, correct? Yes, absolutely. And is it an automatic default that that's what you fall into if you don't register? What do you mean automatic default for who? Like, let's say someone doesn't register, but they're selling. No, you're not. You have to literally... So you physically have to take an action. Yes. Okay, so this is really important, and I know we don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but what happens if somebody is selling in the basement of a church for Christmas? They make whatever it is, potholders. They've never registered to be anything, but they're making money. A transaction is happening. Yep. So the rule is with the IRS, it doesn't matter if you're registered as a business or not. Any income you receive, you have to report it to the IRS and pay taxes on it. So when you are, I mean, not a registered business, you probably can't take certain tax deductions. Also, depending upon your city, state, and county, you have to generally here in Michigan, we have something called home business license, which means you can do business in your home if you want to do business in your garage. But you have to have that license. But if you're doing business and someone has it registered and someone's injured by a product or service that you are offering and you haven't registered, liability issues means make you pay a fine. So it's a lot of different ways to go with But in general, you have to pay taxes on any income you make. Look at it like this, Amazon. When some people use sell things from Amazon affiliate links, they'll share a link, get a kickback off of whatever they shared or someone buys. You have to pay taxes on that. 
Right. Any income you receive, you have to pay taxes on it. That's why when you use Cash App, PayPal, and Stripe, you have to be careful because the government is looking at how you are receiving this money. How are you spending this money? They're taking note of that. And they're making a file whether you are a business or not. And it's based on what the records they get based this is either attached to your social security number or your tax ID. If you haven't reported yet, you have to pay taxes on it. Okay, so really what we should be directing everybody is if you're going to do any money exchange, at the very least, register as a sole proprietor. However, you are still at risk. And if someone sues, it's all of your personal assets that are at risk. Right, but I still wouldn't recommend a sole proprietorship. I agree. Because <laughs> it, it opens you up to so much liability. <laughs> yep, I totally agree with you. Okay, so let's move on to the, the four then, just real quick. So the next one is limited liability company. And this is ideal for people who aren't really sure what's the proper business structure. And here's why I recommend this. It's not the, you'll always hear LLC is the way to go, but it just really depends on your business goals. I couldn't tell you right now which one you should go with, but I can give you a general overview. So with the limited liability company, it actually helps you protect you for personal assets being taken or a judgment lien being placed on it because you are shooting yourself from personal liability. So that's the difference between this and sole proprietorship is because actually here with the limited liability company, we are actually separating your personal assets from your business assets. Now, there are some rules, some general rules is that you got to have a business bank account. You can't commingle your personal funds with your business funds, meaning you can't be using your business card to go to Walmart or Target unless it's a business expense. And then also having a set business structure allows you to have certain tax deductions that you can take such as gas personal development things of that nature in terms of taxes it just depends on how much income that that LLC made determines how much the percentage is but for the most part there's a lot of deductions that you can take with the taxes so you can keep most of the money that you make with your um, business but again that depends on your state taxes as well too because Texas is one of the states that doesn't have state taxes. So it just really depends on your state in terms of how much tax liability that you will have based on your business structure. All right. And just for the reason alone that your business then is separated from your personal, this would be what you would recommend at minimum for somebody. Correct. All right. Just to finish this conversation, where does it go from here? Just what are the other levels? But we won't spend a lot of time on the other levels. So, yeah. So the next one is an incorporation. And this is when you have multiple owners in a company. This is where you want to you see your business having shares and different kickbacks and things like that, like a global company. Let's think Apple. You want to go public eventually. And so that's the next level. And then after that level is the nonprofit. If you have a charitable cause, economic development, something that you're really passionate about, then just really serving the community for a public purpose then the nonprofit route would be the route to go. So those are the four, right? Correct. Sole proprietor, LLC, incorporation, and then the nonprofit. Correct. Got it. Perfect. Okay. If you were, based on all the people that you've worked with, if you were to say what one or two of the biggest, I don't know if you want to call them mistakes, misconceptions, things that we should be cautionary of, what would those be? Oh, goodness, it's so many. <laughs> what do you see most frequently or what do you see that would maybe apply to our listeners the most? Yeah. So I think number one, sharing your idea too early with people. 
I've seen it time and time again. People share what they're working on. They go to networking meetings and things like that. And then someone literally takes the whole idea and recreates it. Okay. And the way around that is non-disclosure. Yeah. And then we didn't even get into this. And I know we don't have time to do that now. But, you know, trademarking or something. It just depends on what stage you're in. But when we talk about trademarks, we're talking about protecting the brand. The only way to get a trademark approved is to, it has to be in the stream of commerce. And what that means is that you have to be making money with it. Because the whole idea behind trademarks is to protect what you create that generates income from you from being infringed upon. And so going to a networking meeting, not necessarily a trademark. Trademark is a stream route to go for that shouldn't be the purpose. But when you're sharing your idea, the non-disclosure agreement will protect you. Now, once your brand is out there, you're generating sales, a lot of sales and things like that, then you want to consider trademarking the brand name. I would share with confidence when I have a non-disclosure agreement signed. Okay, but if I'm going to, I've started my business and I'm an LLC because mm-hmm. we listen to you and that's what you would recommend. And now we're going to a Chamber of Commerce meeting. Yes. We're talking with people and we're introducing, we're a new member and we're introducing the fact that we have made these lotions. Yes. Is that sharing too early? Yes. Okay, so what do we need to do before then we share? You need to get a non-disclosure agreement signed. But are you going to sign a non-disclosure agreement with the whole every member of a Chamber of Commerce meeting? I guess that's where my disconnect is. So let's pause and let's backtrack. So prior, if you're a new member, and I do this all the time around here, and I go to other places who have chambers as well, and they do this all the time. So when prior to people signing up for the event, they can sign the non-disclosure agreement. Also, if you are just sharing, if it's just a general networking meeting, we have cell phones, we have tablets. You could just upload your contract on your phone. And before you have a conversation with someone, you can say, hey, do you mind signing my non-disclosure agreement before we discuss any further? Because, of course, people are pitching, people are building relationships and things like that. And as long as I've been doing this, no one has ever been to chambers. I've been to conferences, summits. And especially with high performing people who are six, seven, eight figures, they do this all the time. A matter of fact, I was just at a meeting last week with a potential investor and I asked him kindly if he could sign my non-disclosure agreement. He wasn't offended. He wasn't upset. And he signed it. All his team members signed it. It was five other people with him. So, yes, you need to have someone sign your non-disclosure agreement is one of the processes of doing business. And as your business expands and you get higher up in it, this is how everyone operates with non-disclosure agreements. It's not like it's no longer the handshake. I'm going to take your word for it, especially because we are in a digital space now and people can copy and paste things at the blink of an eye. So you can do this by simply you don't have to carry a bunch of paper with you. You can just have it on your phone or your tablet. Right. Okay. so. But what do you do, like if I walked into a store and I'm seeing all the products, let's say the person who owns the shop made all the products that are in the shop, right? And so someone walks in and she's selling. She doesn't have everyone make a sign a non-disclosure when they walk in the door to a shop. Well, the shop doesn't have to have because it's a store and it's a public place. So when you are putting something out in the public domain, it's public knowledge. So if someone wants to go and see what's out there on the shelves to see the competitive advantage, you can't limit that because that's public knowledge. But when something is yours, 
your product, your creation. You is your responsibility to ensure that someone is signing your non-disclosure agreement. And then also there's certain when people have when there's so many different layers to this question but when we have products and it's on the shelves and things like that there's a contract being signed in order to get someone's product on the shelf there's certain rules that the store has to be bound by and things like that but that's not the same thing for a non-disclosure agreement that wouldn't even apply in this particular situation okay okay all right that's clear okay that makes sense so the one thing that you would see is sharing too early so major cautions on that from you for sure can you give us one more I think we only have time for one more. Yep. So the next one, be mindful of doing business without having a business structure because you want to have that liability. Yeah, I think that's a really big one for our group. Very good. I know I challenged you a little bit, but it's interesting to hear from you and your thinking and where you would go with this. So I really, really appreciate that. And just, Rejay, just your whole story and the fact that you then were empowering women then you made your switch in terms of what you were doing with your career because you saw the need. Your story is one of courage and determination, and I so appreciate you sharing it with us. And in exchange, on behalf of myself and our listeners, I would like to offer you a virtual gift. So this is a magical box containing unlimited possibilities for your future. Your dream or your goal of almost unreachable heights that you would wish to obtain. So please accept this gift from all of us and open it in our presence. What's inside your box? Yes, thank you. <laughs> so the first thing I see is health. And health because I finally have my kidney transplant. The second thing will be a healthy child to ensure that my daughter grows up healthy despite her diagnosis of cerebral palsy. And the third thing that's in the box is Having my dream home built it is my dream to have a sheep shed on my property. <laughs> oh, love it. <laughs> and then one more thing is that I want to be the woman known as the one who disrupted the legal industry. I want everyone to think different about legal and not feel afraid of it and to embrace it and to be educated and empowered by it. Love it. Yeah, not shy away from it, which is what we all do. And that's what you've identified and recognized for sure. So where would our listeners come and learn more about what you offer and share with us a little bit about that? This is your promo spot right here. Yes. Yeah, so I'm on all social media platforms besides Twitter. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn under my name, just Rajade Richmond. And you can go to my website if you are interested in connecting or working more with me at RajadeRichmond.com. Beautiful. And all of that, you guys, is going to be in the show notes. So you can go and check all of that out. Rajade, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate all the information. Like I said earlier, you gave us some new approaches, new ideas to think about, and definitely some cautions that we all really will heed for sure. So thank you again. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. My reaction to stories like this is always the same. I describe it as being in awe of the strength women can exhibit when facing such difficult challenges, and pride in the power of a woman's determination and spirit. And then I'm humbled, wondering if I could have done the same. I'm always left with a huge level of respect and also energized by hearing the story of another woman overcoming and going on to greatness.
Next week, we're switching it all up. Fall is quickly approaching, and with it comes opportunity for holiday sales. It's a perfect time to catch the eye of a new corporate client or gain interest from that store manager of that local boutique where you've been dreaming of seeing your product displayed. The vision is great, but how do you actually make these things happen? Make sure to tune in next week for the answer. I look forward to us being together again then. Bye for now. After you listen to the show, if you like what you're hearing, make sure to jump over and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. That way you'll automatically get the newest episodes when they go live. And thank you to those of you who have already left a rating and review. By subscribing, rating, and reviewing, you help to increase the visibility of Gift Biz Unwrapped. It's a great way to pay it forward to help others with their entrepreneurial journey as well.